All right, y'all. So I learned something new this morning. I got a text from Dr. Inkerfield on a Sunday when I'm usually trying to shut my brain down. And she sends me this message referring to a bunch of letters. Now, I knew what CSR was, corporate social responsibility. We've talked about that quite a bit. We even had uh, Dr. Sean Mark Anderson come on and talk about corporate social responsibility and sport, et cetera. But she hit me with ESG. And I'm like, wait, what? ESG? Okay, so yeah, my brain kind of went directly to employee resource groups. And I'm not a expert in human resources, but I'm pretty well familiar with most of the alphabet soup. But that ESG, yeah, Lisa, what what, mm-hmm. what are you mm-hmm. doing? I, I haven't had <laughs> enough coffee to interpret ESG. Even when I looked it up, it sent me to like pharmacy drugs. It didn't give me what I was looking for. What in the world are we talking about here when it comes to ESG? Because I I, I have some education to, to do here. Yeah. So ESG is environmental social governance. And I understand it as kind of the newest iteration of um, corporate social responsibility. So it's a bit more in depth. It's got a lot Ugh. more a lot more meat to it and the ability to track and better understand metrics and accountability. But when I got your message saying, what's ESG? I was like, this cannot be true. How is it possible that I perhaps know something that Shauna doesn't? Because as you've heard on this podcast before, I generally get all of my information from Shauna. So um, I had a a, a small moment of glory there that was (laughs) short-lived. Once once she realized that they are very closely related, CSR and ESG. But I thought it would be really neat to talk about that and how you can't do one without thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. And obviously with endurance sport, a lot of organizations are very conscious around climate and the environment and their uh, footprint, right? So it feels like it all fits together nicely. And I thought we should chat about it. All right. So let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. We are so excited about TryHard's new active foot care kit. Lord knows my feet need plenty of TLC after what I put them through. Included in the kit is an active foot soak active foot exfoliating soap, and active foot pre and post workout spray. The foot soak gently cleanses and dries out blisters while relieving pain, itch, and eliminating odors. 
The exfoliating soap, which includes a pumice stone, prevents calluses, eases pain, and prevents the formation of bacteria causing fungus. And last but not least, the pre and post workout spray prevents blisters and irritation. Just spray it on your feet before working out. Once you're finished working out, you can also use it to disinfect and deodorize your shoes and feet. It's self-care season, so go ahead and treat yourself to some try-hard products. Use the code STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off the active foot care kit or any other products at tryhard.co. That's STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. So Lisa, help me out here because I had never heard of ESG. I felt like, okay, it, it's it's one of those things where usually I'm aware of things. I'm rarely ever an expert on things, but I'm usually aware of things. I was not aware of ESG. And as I started to kind of really read a little more about it, and and yes, of course, please, you, you explain some of it to me. I can see how it can bring together the intersection of a number of different things that directly affect endurance sport. I mean, you know, environment definitely affects what we do and how we do it. Corporate social responsibility is, you know, I don't want to say all the rage because it makes it sound trite, but um, it's something that athletes and families and employees are all uh, asking for from organizations. And then we've got lots of other nuances of that. So tell me, how do you describe this ESG to someone like me who'd never heard of it before? What, what does this mean and how does this kind of connect? If we start with corporate social responsibility, which is kind of an internal business model where organizations are trying to do good in the world, but they're thinking about how they operate and often you'll see like carbon footprint goals or re the reduction of carbon footprint goals or yes. volu volunteer days or charitable giving programs. Um, so they're, they're still with corporate social responsibility trying to be socially responsible corporations, but there's not a whole lot of external ways to measure that and measure impact. So mm -hmm. environmental social governance as um I understand and would explain takes it one or maybe five steps further and more explicitly calls out the environment um, and social, obviously. But then the governance piece is that you can't be a corporation, an organization trying to do good in the world and, um, you know, contribute positively to the social environment if you're not also thinking about your internal governance, if you're not even thinking, not always thinking about how are we structured? Who sits on the board? Who gets promoted? Like how are our policies and practices, you know, reinforcing um, systems of oppression or not, right? Like that governance piece is a really important component that gets called out here. And so another piece to ESG is that oftentimes the metrics um, that exist in the world related to how a corporation is doing are utilized by potential investors to make investing decisions. So it's much bigger than just kind of the CSR, which is like an internal way of how is this organization, how is my business going to do some good, right? It's kind of like zooms out and becomes much more structured um, and measurable and so does a better job of holding organizations accountable. Um, I, I see it in, mm. in somewhat of an alignment of the uh, B Corp, right, of the certification that you can get here. The other piece is that, to my best of my knowledge, is ESG is taking off um, in Europe and the U.S. is a little behind at grasping mm. 
the mm-hmm. shift from corporate social responsibility to ESG as kind of a fundamental way mm-hmm. of operating. So hopefully that will see that that's interesting to me because, you know, you and I, we've been kind of stretching our borders literally and figuratively around how we think about DEI and knowing that, you know, we may come from a stronger U.S. viewpoint of DEI than other countries and so forth. So I, I get that. Now, this is what gets interesting to me. I wonder if there's a correlation because if there is more uh, ESG work going on as far as the UK being leaders in this area, does that directly connect to some of what we've talked about before as far as um, you know, somewhat of a caste system when it comes to socioeconomic status, royal bloodlines, and so forth? I'm wondering if that may be a connecting point because it is um, you know, something that is very blatant in, you know, UK culture is, of course, you know, are you royal? Are you not? Are you, you know, that is something that's very clear versus in the US where, yeah, we've kind of had this model of, oh, well, if you work hard enough, X, Y, Z. Now we know we have caste systems here based on race and other things, but we've still at least given this facade of, well, if you work hard enough, you can get to a certain point. And so with this, I think it's interesting because it's like, okay, are we basing this uh, on where we are socioeconomically or our viewpoint socioeconomically, or are we trying to start from this clean slate of we not only want to be altruistic, but we want to be altruistic in ways that are tangible and create this loop that we can prove that we're doing this work. I, I just think it's interesting based on, you know, what country are we dealing with? What culture are we dealing with? I, I think there has to be something in regards to that as far as how slowly we've uh, kind of adopted ESG compared to other countries. Uh, it's a curious uh, question, right? Because we've talked about the UK specifically being a little bit or a lot behind when it comes to really bringing to the forefront diversity, equity, and inclusion in the business and sport context. Um And yet with this ESG piece, they seem to be moving at a much more rapid pace to develop strategies and hold people accountable in comparison to the US. You've got this weird kind of like seesaw, right, where the US seems to be doing better in terms of DEI and the language and um, how to better address inequity within the workplace as compared to the UK, but then the UK and other European countries have kind of accelerated this ESG mindset, but perhaps in absence of an integration of DEI. So in both cases, there's a lack of integration, but in the US, it's a lack of integration of DEI or, or ESG into DEI. And in the UK and Europe, perhaps it's a lack of integration in the other direction, right? Mm-hmm, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, and, and again, it's going to be applied based on what your starting point is. And, you know, we've tried to make that very clear when it comes to even if we were just focusing on U.S. organizations, U.S. cultures, U.S. business, you have to you have to start where you are in your organization. That's why when Lisa and I do consulting work, we don't just come in and write a prescription. You know, we we have to come in and look at 
Here's the assessment of what's going on. Now, we hear what you think is going on, but we also need to do our own assessment to really get to the crux of what we think is going on and therefore where to start with any improvements or any measurable change within the organization. And so, you know, you can't just apply this and think, okay, it's going to work for everyone. It's it's not. And even that application is based on where you are, where your organization is, how um, how mature your organization is in regards to DEI. I would imagine that would give us like a starting point. Um, but I, I appreciated your point, though, around the comparison of CSR and ESG, because, again, I think CSR, to your point, is inward facing. ESG is outward facing. And what would it look like if we all if we did all of it? You know, it, it's almost like CSR is subsumed by ESG. And now we're saying that doing it is not enough. You need to measure it and people are holding you accountable for doing it. And that directly affects bottom line work. So Lisa, I don't know if you experienced this, but I remember when I first started in DEI work and organizations always asked for this business case for the work, the business, why are we doing this? What, who is it going to affect, et cetera? And I feel like this starts to blur that line between the complete business case or bottom line ROI case and the altruistic piece and saying, uh, we don't uh, need to unnaturally keep them separate and apart. They, in fact, go together in some ways, because I, I think I gave lots of different business cases, and I think there are lots of business cases, but this gives license to blur that line a little bit, I think. Since ESG um, is such a is becoming a fundamental component of investor decisions, right? So if I want to invest in an endurance sport company, um, you know, as a as a conscious investor, I'm going to be looking at their environmental impact and policies around that. I'm going to be looking at their social, what are they doing in the community or how are they treating their employees, right? And I'm going to be looking at the governance, who's on the board of directors, right? Is it a whole bunch of white men? Do they have strategies and steps in place to diversify that? And then I'm going to make investment decisions, which is much more robust than me looking at a company and saying, oh, well, they have mental health days and they have a volunteer program um, and they do offer charitable giving uh, matches, right? Um, but how are they measuring the impact of that, right? That doesn't necessarily tell me anything. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I think um, it's an important step around accountability, which to your business, you know, business bottom line is important because how do I grow my business? if I can't get people to invest in my business and, and if investors are looking at ESG um, and I don't do any of that stuff, then people aren't going to invest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lisa, this reminds me, all right, just, just go with me there, Lisa, on this. I'm recalling a very old movie that I loved. Um, and this movie, um, I think it was from 2005, 2006. It was one of um, Spike Lee's movies that he directed called The Inside Man. And it had, um, I believe Denzel Washington was in the movie along with, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, gosh, who else was in it? A, a number of folks that are pretty well known. 
Um, Clive Owen, I believe, was in it. Oh, Jodie Foster. That's it. Jodie Foster was in it. And the reason why I'm recalling this movie in relation to this conversation is that basically there was a plot where um, Clive Owen's character creates this entire system of the perfect bank robbery. And they break into the bank. They don't hurt anyone. They, they, that's not the point of the bank heist. The point of the bank heist is that they're trying to get into a safe deposit box. And uh, for anybody that hasn't seen the movie before, I think you should still see it. I know this is going to be a huge spoiler alert here. As they go into the safe deposit box, I'm thinking it's going to be money. I'm thinking it's going to be jewels, you know, something connected to someone. We find out based on the safe deposit box that the bank was founded and created using um, money from Nazis in Germany, right? And now let's be clear, the, um, the bank owner and founder had this arc of development where he did lots of things. You know, he was philanthropic and, and altruistic and so forth, but he also knew that his company would crumble if people knew that this very large bank was started with money that was from a clearly unsavory group, right? And that's what this reminds me of is this really protects organizations because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But what we do know is that we don't want to look back and think about our organizations, our races, our athletes, or anyone being connected to anything unsavory as we look back. We, you know, it's kind of like what people say about, you know, we want to be on the right side of history type of thing. And that's what this feels like is that the e, the ESG perspective gives us a, a reason to do that and do that well. And I would say underneath of that umbrella, certifications like B Corp certification gives us kind of the checklist of how we do that in a way that's somewhat palatable for organizations. So all that to say, I love that movie. I might go back and watch it this evening um, while I'm relaxing, but it reminds me quite clearly of how organizations need to think about, are you going to look back and say, we were on the right side of history or we were on that side that was inclusive or equitable or thought about other people um, in way, because, you know, taking funding from Nazi Germany is like one on a list of, what people would say unforgivable things to do, right? Well, are you going to be deemed as one of those people that was unforgivable based on something you're doing right now? Because you're not thinking about ESG or CSR for that matter, or uh, some of these other certifications. I think it's really important to kind of try to envision forward and backward at the same time. As you were talking and you were like, this really old movie, I was thinking like, what, 1970s, 1950s? And you're like, yeah. Mid two thousands, two thousand six. How about that? Two thousand six. That's not sixteen years ago. Like that does not that does not constitute quote unquote uh, really uh, old, right? But I haven't seen it, so even with the spoiler, I might also check that one out because I always like a good bank heist movie. But me too. Me too. It is a in really interesting point because um, when I think about 2020 and all that occurred in terms of what we saw in the endurance sport community and just broadly, you know, in uh, corporate social responsibility efforts and statements and kind of public denouncements of racism and commitments to do better, quote unquote, and how we've really seen that drop off. 
And there has been, there was so much discussion around was something different? Was there something different about 2020? Right. Uh, and is this, um, this commitment to doing better actually going to stick around? And you and I have talked about this on and off on the podcast, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. And I think we've, we've oscillated between yes, so there was something different and no, nothing much has changed. And, um, you know, I think I'm currently in a moment of nothing much has changed because we've seen all those big organizations, corporations, businesses related to endurance sport just drop off, right? They just, they're not, they're just not as active anymore. Or if they are doing stuff, it's not being publicized. So maybe folks are doing stuff internally, right? But this ESG focus, and if you think about ESG as an integration of DEI and CSR, perhaps, right? And there's a public piece to that, like being clear about where you stand and then actually taking action and then actually measuring said action, right? So you can produce annual reports and you can produce public statements and you can put that stuff on your website, right? Like, sure, putting stuff on your website feels a bit surfacey, but if there's some depth and some meat to it, then you're also like, we are following through on the things that we said we were going to do. And here's how we're doing that. Right. And I, I do think kind of embracing ESG over CSR is one way to perhaps move that needle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm with you. I, I think you're right. I think that's one way to move the needle. But, you know, again, that goes back to the acknowledgement that there is a needle right? Because how many people do, you know, we work with, and even when I was first starting out in DEI work, there were not too many folks that wanted to go there with the measurement of DEI movement promotion. Would have. And even if they did, there were folks that didn't have the skill set to do that, right? So when I was working at, at University of Maryland College Park, that was my job, in fact, where I, all I did was measure the multicultural programs that we did for non-white students on that campus, which was about 15,000. That measurement was what we used for a number of different things, whether it was grants, whether it was funding from senior leadership, whether it was simply um, to compare ourselves to other universities within our Baker's Dozen that were comparable institutions. We at least had the data to do that. And it was kind of part of institutional research because it was important enough to us to do it. But Again, you know, I feel like you're making a business case within a business case. Why is it even important to have a needle to measure? And it's, you know, of course, it is partially resources and funding, but I think there's a laundry list of reasons why we would want to measure, especially if we're authentic about seeing change. We need to measure it. We we have no clue if we're making change if we don't measure it. So I, I get tired of having that conversation of why aren't we measuring? What's the metric? What's the best metric? You know, that is an ongoing conversation. And um, kind of breaking it down for folks. So in the environmental piece of it, right, the consideration is, well, how is a company being a steward of nature, right? How are they protecting nature? How are they thinking about their carbon footprint? What kind of energy standards do they have? Like, what about resource um, depletion? And I think that's super applicable to endurance sports organizations, particularly ones that run races that implement races, right? Because of the wear and tear on not only the ground 
upon which people are racing, right? But also the environment, you know, like Kona is such a good example of this um, in terms of the trashing of the environment by people who are visiting. And then, you know, cups for um, hydration and like throwing them away and just creating a large amount of trash of things that can't be recycled. Um, And I know a lot of smaller races have gone to like cupless um, races where you have to bring your own reusable uh you know drinking utensil (laughs) right right um and Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you know that's certainly really applicable I think and then the social piece is looking at how are you managing your relationships with your customers and your employees and so that one feels very Mm. salient given a few weeks ago we talked about the Surgeon General's um that's right that's right well-being and mental health for employees and for workers right like how are you measuring comfort, inclusion, belonging, promotion, advancement? Are you looking at those elements to be able to identify patterns of bonuses and salary yes. mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that? Um, you know, giving right. people paternity leave as well as maternity leave, recognizing mm-hmm. same gender and same-sex couples and adoption and all those pieces. And then governance is like we had mentioned at the top, right? how are you governing your organization? What kind of shareholder rights? Do your workers own some of the business? That's um, right. Is That's your right. board like full of white people, right? And what do you, what is your strategy? Like, do you have a plan? Do you have right. a plan to actively diversify, diversify in race, in age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, nationality, right? All those pieces. Right, right, um, right. Exactly. Then, yeah, how are you auditing that? Right. Right. Exactly. Because, you know, what uh, my my former supervisor used to say all the time that, um, you know, what gets measured makes progress. And if you don't measure it, it's not going to progress. And, you know, I do think that the questions that we ask are the things that we care about. You know, we don't ask the questions that we don't want an answer to. So that's why I think a lot of organizations still don't collect data around uh, anything in regards to LGBT folks and their needs, for example, because, oh, well, we don't, the the, the running excuse is, well, we don't want to out anyone. We, we don't want, you don't have to out someone to measure that information. You don't have to, there are very nuanced ways to measure information and keep that information safe in ways that still serve those individuals writ large. And so, you know, given that, I think that we we get away with a lot of excuses for not taking um, this approach, this more up-to-date approach, because it's, it's easier to give the perfectly logical explanation. Let's not do it because X, Y, Z. And Lisa, one thing I was thinking about, even as you were sharing those particular areas, each one of those areas it snowballs into the next, right? So if you're looking at more diverse leadership for a company, then they're going to pay attention to where pay equity is lacking. They're going to pay attention to where shareholders' rights aren't there. They're going to make sure that things are audited in such a way that it's um, it's objective, yet also keeping the history of disenfranchised people in mind. So, you know, once you start, my, my grandmother says it all the time, the fish rots at the head. If you have a head that that is thinking about such things, then it has to trickle down to every other area of the organization if you have enough of it. But if you don't have it at all, then it's not. So that's, look, Lisa, we might as well say 
if you don't want change in your organization, don't change the leadership. Keep that shit the same. Because if you have the leadership exactly the same, homogenous, thinking very similarly, then you're going to have the same issues and the same stuff and more, more, more the same. So, you know, for me, I think the the snowball is very clear to me in what little bit I know about ESG at the moment. It's very clear. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's all connected. And I don't think yes. that you can effectively and adequately kind of put forth a commitment to ESG in your organization if you're not also thinking about DEI, right? And that's a lot of acronyms, that's right. um, certainly, but that's right. Inclusion speaks to social, right? Inclusion also speaks to environmental. Mm. It also speaks to the governance of your organization, diversity across all three, right? Like if you're making contracts with um, cities for a race or an event, right? Like which cities are you choosing and why, right? And how is, how is that going to help the community with which you're negotiating with? Um, Mm -hmm. What are you asking um, of that city? And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of connections there. And I just think it is, it would be problematic to pursue ESG without that attendant DEI lens. And I think that's what happens with corporate social responsibility. I think it's like, here, go volunteer in this impoverished community. We'll Mm -hmm. take photos of you. We'll slap that on the website. And won't that make us look good? We're having, we're trying to have a good social impact. And it's really, um, yeah, yeah, and surface level, right? There's not, mm-hmm. there's not a depth there. There's not a focus, an integrated focus on DEI, really, in the same way that I think is possible with ESG. Right, right, and you know that almost ushers into the door, you know, lots of things, you know, the savior complex with you know a number of different things where we've talked about this before, Lisa, around how we no longer necessarily ascribe to servant leadership, for example, because it seems to be all about um, this patriarchal way of coming in and patronizing people as if they would not be able to help themselves unless you showed up. And because of that, oh, you know, let's have pity on them, which is degrading rather than having empathy with them and working with them in order to support their needs, but also to support your lack of understanding of their lived experience at the very same time, going back and forth. So yeah, it it just, it ushers in way too much one-sided benefit, um, which I don't like. It just feels gross. (laughs) It feels very gross. There's a lot there, right? Because even the use of the term so and what that historically means like in the US and who has been who has been the servant and who hasn't right like I think there's a a piece there um exactly but anyway I think we hopefully have given you a lens into the expansion of corporate social responsibility into environmental social governance and why Mm -hmm. a DEI lens would be important so if you haven't heard of it we would encourage you to Go on the interwebs and check it out and see if your organization can develop a strategy around this. It can't just be a like, hey, folks, we're really into this ESG thing. You know, go do good in the environment. Like you have to have a committee that has power and it has to be part of your strategic plan. You have to develop points in time that you're going to see where you're going and continuous improvement and all of that stuff. So it can't be like a half-assed thing. No, no, don't don't be lazy with your stuff, y'all. It it has to be full. Look, it, 
can't be half-assed. It has to be whole ass into this process. You cannot do it halfway. Um, but yeah, I think it's encompassing and I'm really excited to learn more given that I found out about this concept, uh, what, maybe two hours ago. So ready to uh, learn more and see how I can continue to apply it to my work as well, y'all. Hell yeah. Hell no. So Lisa, I have a hell yeah that I found, of course, as I was doom scrolling on Instagram, as usual. Um, there is this organization called Kulina Health. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm assuming that comes from the word culinary. Um, but Kulina Health is an organization that I discovered that I'm really excited about because their mission statement is to make nutrition accessible and sustainable for everyone. And I so appreciate that because we've talked about, you know, the instability that can come along with, um, with food, with how people can sustain themselves, food deserts, for example, if it takes you a long time to find fresh produce uh, in your area because it's just simply not provided there. And so I found out about this organization and their core values are that people come first, their information is rooted in, sci in science itself, they are compassionate and non-judgmental in how they work with people as far as learning about nutrition and healthcare. And of course, they want their organization to be accessible and they describe it as uh, providing virtual nutrition care for all people, regardless of their background, body size or health condition. And so I love this because I've been very uh, adamant about making sure people have access to um, not just health care, but wellness and the preventative measures so that we don't have to get to a certain place because social determinants of health are very real, especially for people who look like me. Um, and so one of the things that I put as kind of an asterisk, Lisa, around uh, Kulina Health is that most organizations do not cover things regarding nutrition by insurance. But this organization has actually applied, you know, filled out the paperwork and they do cover a lot if you have insurance. And so I think it's just interesting that in this country, even if you have insurance, sometimes nutrition is not covered, but in this case it is. So I would encourage y'all to check it out. I will include kulinahealth.com um, in the show notes, but I just thought it was an incredible approach. And this is one of those things where it's like, how come we haven't thought of this earlier? This makes complete sense. Somebody just used common sense to create something that's accessible that should have been the case all along. And so I'm really thrilled that they're doing this work. Um, nutrition and eating, um, how that is conceived and understood for girls and women tends to orient itself towards whiteness and this yes, organization yes, yes. working on, in, in many ways, countering that, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, very cool. So we also have a second hell yeah. We decided we were just going to do two hell yeahs this week because while there are a thousand hell nahs in the world, right? We're like, let's just be, let's just, let's just focus on the yes. So, um, this, uh, is something again that made Shauna and I realize that when we move through the world and we see images of people in doctor's offices or on food or on other products that we tend not to 
quickly identify that they're usually always white, right? Um, and so this uh, young girl, Jazara Olivia, um, who is an actress and she's previously or is an actress on Good Sam and now she is the new face of Pampas Cruisers. So there is the best Instagram video or reel that's out there of her walking through like a either Sam's Club or Walmart or something like that um, and locating the Pampas boxes with her face on it. And she is just ecstatic like it if you are feeling low I would say go watch that video because there is no way you can't watch that video and finish it with a big fat smile Mm -hmm. on your face um because Pampers and other diaper producers have historically only featured white babies white toddlers right so the fact Mm -hmm. that in 2022 there is now a child who has brown skin on a Pampers box should you know like it's groundbreaking and that is a problem right and then that kind of alerts you to the awareness of like oh yeah I guess all the babies featured on baby food and pampas and various other bits and pieces are predominantly white if not completely white right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so you know again it's a hell yeah because this is an awesome move but it's like you know parentheses hell no why did it take until 2022 (laughs) so Exactly. Right. Right. So uh, this might be a hell maybe when it comes to this. You're exactly right. It's like, what took so long? And the awareness that we as folks looking at these Pampers boxes and commercials and so forth didn't check ourselves by saying that we've always for a very long time, we've been looking at white or fairer skinned children all this time. So Oh, kudos to her and her family. And I saw her little Afro pup on the top of her head and just went goo goo over it. So I'm so thrilled. Um, And so we'll certainly drop the link to that as well in the show notes. So Lisa, I was just so giggly when I saw her. I think I giggled more than she did um, seeing herself on the side of the box. So yes, so that's a great hell. Yeah. And hell maybe. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I love the meal recommendations that come with the analysis. It prompted me to add salmon into my meal rotations and I am loving it. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and then use the code feisty at checkout. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>